Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and I'm pumped to have you here. For this month's show, I'm interviewing my new friend, Becky Straw from The Adventure Project. On this episode, we're talking all about The Adventure Project and what they're doing to help relieve poverty around the world. You're going to hear about how I came across this awesome organization, which is kind of a funny story, but I'm such a huge fan of what they're doing. I had such an awesome time recording this conversation with Becky. We connected super well. We have a lot in common. We're both new moms and we're both closet fans of The Bachelorette. So there's that. We did definitely get sidetracked and have a little conversation about that. So there's your heads up. But more than anything, we both care a lot about the people of this world and our planet. And that's what the Adventure Project is working on. They are working to see extreme poverty come to an end, and their goal is to do this by the year 2030. They have a specific focus on women and children that I love, and they are looking to resolve poverty through four different approaches that you're going to hear about. To me, this is a really special organization because they do a good job of combining the focus on helping people and on helping our planet. I love that they're trying to address multiple problems with how they approach resolving poverty. I will also give you a heads up that this was the first episode I've recorded since having a baby, so I was a little intimidated on how this recording was going to go, but the baby did pretty good through it. He stayed quiet for the most part, and part of that is thanks to me playing the Van Morrison Pandora station on my phone in the background to drown out the noise of Becky and I talking, so I apologize for that because if you listen closely, you can hear a little bit of that in the background, but it was worth it to keep the baby asleep for that long, trust me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Becky and learning about the Adventure Project and all the amazing things that they do. I hope you enjoy our side conversations about The Bachelorette and other non-related things, and I hope you enjoy Van Morrison playing in the background. Here is my conversation with co-founder and president of The Adventure Project, Becky Straw. Okay, hey Becky, welcome to the podcast. Hey Mackenzie, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Can you just start with telling listeners who you are? Yes. So my name is Becky Straw. I am the co-founder and CEO of The Adventure Project, which is a nonprofit movement working to create jobs in developing countries to lift people out of extreme poverty. That's awesome. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to learn all about what The Adventure Project does. And something I didn't mention to you is that I came across the Adventure Project probably two, maybe three years ago, and it was just in a search. I was looking for ethical Christmas gifts I could get people, Mm. and I found your charcoal soap, and that's kind of how I found out about you guys. That's so funny. That's that's actually exactly how we started. Was um, you know we had we had no money. My co-founder and I, um, Jody, she's a mom and wife of a worship pastor, and I was an international aid worker. And, um, you know, so clearly we were not rich, but we thought, man, how can we start a nonprofit um, impacting people effectively? And our first program was in Haiti, um, helping train men and women to become stove entrepreneurs, making charcoal efficient stoves, um, Uh which are, you know, incredible interventions that reduce smoke emissions and, and also, you know, help the environment because they they limit the amount of coal needed um, from people cooking over open fires. So they're just kind of this great intervention. And so we thought, well, Christmas is coming up when we're launching. It's November. Um, Why don't we do, you know, put coal in your stocking and you'll provide a woman Uh with a charcoal efficient stove. So 
we had, my roommates were pretty upset, but we had, I basically bought a bunch of charcoal, put it in our apartment <laughs> living room and, and found some volunteers willing to help um, assemble it all and then put it into uh, the hands of, of people interested in, in purchasing it. So it was kind of just like a tchotchke gift. Now it's much nicer. Now we have a, a partnership with Apotheke, which is like a really cool Brooklyn um, soap company that provides us with charcoal soap. So you're, you're like getting a great oh, facial cool. bar now yeah um, instead of just like a lump of coal from the supermarket <laughs> from the barbecue yeah totally but um that's yeah. so funny yeah yeah no that's awesome I love the soap that I've tried and I've definitely given it as gifts to people so oh, I think God. it's great so you said this so you were one of the co-founders I know you're the CEO now so can you tell me more about like how you guys started, like how long ago was that and kind of what made you want to, you know, dive into this project? Totally. That, yeah, that was nearly nine years ago, which is hard to believe. But oh, wow, um, yeah. Jody and I, Jody was, um, we both came from a nonprofit organization called Charity Water, which is now, I believe, one of the largest water organizations in the world, which is incredible mm -hmm. to think about. But I was mm -hmm. actually the third employee there, and I was working as the director of programs, managing all of our projects internationally, so mainly in Africa. And every once in a while, I would take supporters to the field with me, or they'd fly and meet me, and I'd show them the work that they had done. And um, Jody was one of those supporters. She was actually our largest um, fundraiser at the time. She was just a mom to six kids, and her last two children were adopted from Sierra Leone and she thought, okay, well, we're now raising a global family. So we need to start acting globally minded. And, you know, not many people have six kids. So she had a very popular mm -hmm. blog um, because many people want to know just how she um, survives the day. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, through that blog, you know, thousands of people got involved in Gabe and it was really incredible. And so, you know, we met in Liberia and I was showing her around and, in the back of a car, we were just talking for six hours about life and about family, but then, you know, obviously about the, the ties that bind and how do we really help people in developing countries and how come sometimes most the most effective interventions aren't the ones that people are supporting. You know, it's the, it's the orphan or the shiny photo, you know, that gets the most funding when really... Uh -huh. um, effective work starts by building capacity and it starts by creating jobs for moms and dads so that they you know can have the dignity and the knowledge to earn a living and by training them in a skill that's helping a local community they're they're going to end up doing much more good than if if we just kept sending volunteers over to keep you know wells working so to speak you know I'd been working in the water sector at that point, you know, obviously, and I was coming across a massive amount of wells that were non-functional, and that was very frustrating to me. And the Gates Foundation then released a stat saying, you know, it looks like 36% of all wells in Africa are currently broken, and most mm -hmm. break within the first two years. So that's oh, wow. awful, and it's awful to think about as a donor that we're... Um, telling donors, you know, you can solve the water crisis for these families just by giving them a well. But, you know, they're not getting any spare parts, any tools, or any training in how to keep those wells working. So for me, it was really an ethical decision of, oh my gosh, we need an organization that focuses on the unsexy stuff and, and all the, you know, the yeah. empowerment that comes with training men and women to, to be the change in their own community. So 
that was, that was the main reason that we were motivated, you know, and then the second reason, which ties all into this is that as I was working in Africa, people kept asking me if I was hiring, you know, at the time I was kind of fresh out of grad school, 28 years old, and just being compounded with the fact that I'd have these men and women, you know, holding their kids saying, please, I just really want a job. Like, here's all my skills. Here's, I promise I'll work hard. And just looking them in the eye and thinking, you know, this is what people really want out of life. They, handouts are great. They're appreciated, especially when you're trying to live on $2 a day. But, you know, we can lift people out of poverty for good by giving them a job and giving them skills. So that, that is what we say is kind of, you know, the second tie that kind of brought us together and, and made us decide to launch this organization that, you know, is technically a charity, but it's a charity all about creating jobs. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something I've learned a lot about just since doing this podcast. Like, and that's, I feel like it's not just in, you know, third world countries, but even in the U.S., like some people that I've interviewed talk about addressing poverty and by far the most effective model that anybody has found is is you empower people to you know create jobs and you know be working for themselves rather than just giving them the handouts like you said because obviously handouts are reliable and it's like a nice gift but it doesn't really teach anybody anything um and it's not you know long term so so i think that's really cool and i'm all for any kind of organization that's you know, for teaching people and giving them the tools that they need rather than just giving handouts. I think that's awesome. So yeah, teaching people to fish. Yeah, exactly. Um, So how many people now work with you guys? We are pretty small in our headquarters and we're lean on purpose in Brooklyn. But then most of our work is in East Africa where um, we support local organizations. We feel like it's much more impactful or we know it's much more impactful to help those local organizations with the tools and training and financial support to grow their training programs. Um, So we have about six local partners in East Africa right now in uh, six countries. And we've created over 1,600 people are now working. Um, And those 1,600 people that have been hired are caring for about 1.3 million people every day. So that's pretty incredible. It's pretty duplicative, um, right? When you're on average, it's about $1,200 to give someone the tools and training to, to earn a livings. And then they go on to care for about 500 people in their village or community. So that's, you know, helping healthcare workers, helping, you know, women become healthcare workers or helping, you know, men and women become well mechanics to keep the wells working. You know, it's very, effective targeted interventions. Um, We only fund work that is helping reduce child mortality rates. So everything from clean water, hunger, preventing healthcare, or, you know, protecting the environment, which is that, that coal one, the the stove campaign that we have. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been great. And, you know, I think my, my favorite, favorite stat is that, you know, we always say we don't work in education at all. But we've come to realize through a lot of monitoring and evaluation that um, we've sent over 1,100 children to school for the first time without sponsorship, without anything. It's all because those parents now have a job. They've said that now they can finally afford the fees or the books or the uniform to send their child. So um, Mm -hmm. that's really awesome to me, um, especially as a parent, because that, that means 
again, that parent isn't, isn't hoping that their child gets sponsored or that they can get a handout to then send their kids to school. But, you know, what's actually happening is they finally have the income and the stability to do so. So it's been really, really great to see. Yeah, that's so awesome. And so are you guys just in Africa or are you anywhere else? Great question. We were working in Haiti and that program became sustainable, meaning that they transferred the program to Haitian entrepreneurs to run. Oh, cool. Which was great. Uh, And then we had work in India helping a law mechanics training program in two states. Um, But those Uh programs both essentially fixed and repaired the wells in their districts. So, you know, for, for example, I think we helped hire in one district 130 men and women to become wall mechanics. Oh, awesome. And they're providing, because there's so many people in India, they're providing over 730,000 people with clean water. Wow. And so it's in essence, they're like, we don't want to expand. Yeah. Like we've covered the entire area, like cool. thanks to your support. Oh, so that's, that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. So then, you know, with that, we took a step back and decided, you know, for our um, the next 10 years, we really want to focus on sub-Saharan Africa and trying to reach everyone there because that is the region, uh, the continent that is not receiving enough funding to lift people out of poverty fast enough. So we feel that putting our investments there is the the biggest need right now and and finding ways that we can raise more funding to end extreme poverty by 2030. Okay. Uh, Maybe there's too many to list, but how many countries does that include in Africa? In Africa? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, we would love to try, you know, touch as many as possible. I think Uh one thing that's unique for us is, you know, we obviously need to make sure countries are stable. Creating jobs actually creates economic stability, Uh but, you know, we're looking at um, by the end of 2020, our, our goal for the last three years has been like, can we expand to two countries every year? So last year we expanded to Tanzania and Malawi. This year um, we're hoping to expand to a country in West Africa plus Ethiopia. So we've been vetting those partners. So it's really about how do we scale appropriately. Um, okay. I think what else is different too is that we're not an emergency response organization. We're an organization that stays and helps to build capacity. So you know, we're not interested in just saying like, oh, we're going to give some money to this country and then go to the next country. But we actually mm-hmm. are staying and continuing to support the same programs as long as they're effective and helping them grow sustainably. Yeah. So we're still working in the countries that we've been working in. And some of our partners have been partners for many years. Okay. We started. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. And one more question. How did you come up with the name The Adventure Project? Uh, so, um kind of you know, funny story. We just were talking about, you know, what does it mean to create jobs? And, you know, we're doing something that's really different than the typical charity. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was like, well, this is an adventure and a leap of faith. Yeah. Um, but then also I love the plan, the words adding venture and that we're supporting ventures that add something positive to the world. Mm. And that this is a um, adventure, you know, for others as well. So yeah, we thought it'd be fun to play off the words, um, you know, supporting ventures that are, mm-hmm. are adding positive uh, impact. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. I like that. Okay, cool. So now let's talk a little bit more about kind of what the poverty really looks like in the areas that you're focused on. Is there anything that you feel like people, you know, I feel like people generally know what the word poverty means, but obviously don't have like 
as much of an inside look into it as you do. Um, so is there anything about global poverty that a lot of people don't know that you feel like they should know? Oh, gosh, I think a few things. I think, you know, there's this myth that because you're poor, you can't afford anything. Mm hmm. And that's not really true. People still want to have choice and they still want to have decisions. It means they're much more limited in the decisions they're able to make. Right. But, you know, I think we've seen that by providing people with a service, they are willing and interested in paying for it if it's providing a high level of service. So a perfect example is, you know, a lot of my work in Africa, people would tell me like, oh, people can't afford, afford. they're too poor here to afford to contribute to a well or a new well. We have to provide all the aid for them to you know, drill. In reality, um, one of the programs we're running in or supporting in local organization and running in Uganda charges people four cents to collect their water at a jerry um, for a jerry can. So every four cents you pay allows you to get one yellow jerry can, 20 liters of water. And people are very excited to do that because what that means mm -hmm. is that there is somebody at that well who is collecting your money and keeping the well clean and making sure that it's working. And so um, people are more than willing to pay for the re reliability of that water source and knowing that there is a mechanic who can keep their well working. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of an, a, one example, but you know, there, there's many, I think, you know, a lot of myths about people living in poverty and that yes, people need help. and yes, we need to do more, but don't discount people or look down upon them because they have incredible insight and incredible entrepreneurial hustle to mm -hmm. survive and yeah. to be really creative with how they make their money stretch mm -hmm. longer. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Is there anything else that you wanted to add there or do you feel like that's the main, the main kind of stereotype that people have? Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of things that we don't even really recognize or realize that are happening. I mean, for us, we got started because we realized it doesn't take a lot of money to change someone's yeah. life um, or to transform an entire community's life. I think we're here and we're going about our day and we're like, a lot of people say, oh, I don't have any money to give right now because uh, I'm still doing X, Y, Z or trying to climb the ladder or trying to get out of school. Yeah. When in actuality, it's, it's not that much. It's, you know, most children die of preventable illnesses because they don't have access to medicine that costs less than a cup of coffee. Right. So, um, you know, less than $2 a day or $2 per medicine or treatment. So that's, that's insane when you think about it. And, um, you know, really, my hope is to inspire more people to recognize that no matter how much you're earning, you can still give and your gift will, you know, transform people's lives in really life changing ways. So I was telling a story like last week, I came across a woman once when we were in Liberia who stopped us in the middle of the road and waved us down and said, like, please help me. And I, I saw she was holding a baby in her arms. And so we got out and, and went to talk to her. And then, you know, as I got closer, I realized it wasn't a baby. It was a toddler. But the child was so malnourished and couldn't hold her head up. And it was heartbreaking. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, she was looking for a health clinic. And I realized even our translator was having problems. And I was like, how come she's not speaking English? We're in, like, you know, we're in Liberia, which they speak English. 
And he goes, oh, I, you know, she's speaking French. Um, she actually had, is from Burkina Faso and she's been walking, or Guinea, Guinea. And she's been walking for three days through the forest looking for someone to help her. And so, you know, you think about just the massive amount of need out there and like how we can all, and you're, you're a new mom too, but I mean, you would do the same thing, right? If your child was sick, it's just, you know, people are doing their best to survive. And we live in a world where we know how to treat these children. The problem is how do we get more healthcare workers to them locally? And how do we get more people in these communities empowered with the knowledge and skills to help help their communities? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you were saying too about giving, I I don't know, I can just like really personally relate to that. Like my husband works for a non for profit and you know, does a lot of fundraising and giving has just kind of, this sounds like I'm bragging about myself and I'm really not trying to, but I just feel like giving, giving has become like part, like just second nature to us. You give part of what you have, especially if you live in a country like the United States or, you know, in the Western world, I guess, Mm -hmm. just because we, it's like, we don't even really know what poverty is most of us like most of us are so wealthy compared to the rest of the world and so even when it feels like oh I don't have a lot like I I just started a job and bought a house or whatever like I just had a kid like yeah obviously you don't have you know as much money as some of the people at the very top but compared to most of the world you actually do have a lot to give you know and like you're saying it's just it's not even that expensive when you think about it like you don't even have to give that much to make a difference and I just feel like when you when you start to look at it that way and just start to give without like thinking about it too much it becomes such a joy to do that and such a joy to like know that you are making a difference and it's like so much of our world is focused on our convenience and it's like this is the most convenient way to change the world like you're not even being asked to do anything except for to allow a, a, an amazing organization to take a little bit of money out of your bank account every month, you know, like it's such an easy way to help change the world. And so, yeah, I I wish that more people found that joy in giving. I think it's like, it's amazing to me what a hard thing that is for people, you know, to just like let go of a little bit of money. But I think once you find something you're passionate about and it just feels so good to be supporting it. So I just wanted to say that because I think more people need to be challenged in that way um, and myself included. Like, I mean, even though I feel like we give a lot, it's like we could always give more. Like, you know, we could all always give more. Yeah, of course. I mean, I yeah. But to, to couple with that, like Americans are one of the most generous countries globally. Yeah. And, you know, and I think we see sometimes people don't give because they're like, this problem is so big. My small gift is not going to make an impact. But, you know, I've seen the opposite. You know, I've. I mean, uh-huh. it's been incredible to now be working for, you know, over a decade in Africa and seeing that change is really happening in a lot of these countries for many reasons, economic reasons, politically as well. But also, you know, it's exciting, like for the first time in history of our world, less than 10 percent of people live in extreme poverty, wow, which is yeah. incredible to think about that potentially our generation could become the first generation to end extreme poverty for good. Like that's pretty incredible. And I think it's, like you said, there's so much joy in that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why we started the Adventure Project as well, is we wanted to prove you don't have to have a lot of money to to be effective. And 
we have something called the collective, which is our monthly giving program where people collectively give every month and they're supporting all four of our programs. They're bought into the idea that jobs are what people need and they get to support each quarter. They're supporting a different job creation program. And, you know, we always say we've raised $4.5 million, like $200 at a time. Like the average donation is $200 at a time. It is not per year. You know, it's not a lot of money, but mm-hmm. collectively, you know, those organizations, you know, we've been able to help over a million people, which is mind boggling, you know, and it's really such a um, incredible place for me to be. A- I feel so blessed and fortunate to be running this organization with such a great team and um, such great supporters because our supporters are truly making an incredible difference in the lives of so many people. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really fun to see, especially now as we're almost a decade on just seeing people that have been hired 10 years ago and the things that they've been able to do and the, you know, how their kids are growing up. It's, it's yeah, just so inspiring. So, you know, I hope more people yeah. realize that, you know, don't, don't wait to give like there, yeah. even if you, you know, there's always going to be an excuse. It is so much fun and it brings so much joy to be able to, you know, give what you can. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and obviously those like extremely generous gifts of like a thousand dollars from some random person, like those are so like crazy and feel so good to receive. But I feel like those small gifts of like $5 or something are also so special. Like I just know again from, from the role that my husband's in, like when, you know, when he receives like a gift or someone signs up to give $5 a month, we never sit there and think like, well, they could afford more than that. Like, why are they giving five dollars a month? Like, it's just it's so tender to us when someone's willing to give that amount because it's like obviously they don't feel like they can afford that much, and yet they're still willing to do that. And it's like that's so special to us. And like, no matter the size of the gift, it never goes unnoticed. And so I just feel like everybody needs to hear back. Like you said, there's no gift. I mean, I know that's like a corny thing to say and you hear it in like commercials all the time, but there's no gift that's too small. Like it all, it all makes a difference. And, and on top of giving, like one of my favorite things is giving ethical gifts, like supporting companies and organizations that are doing awesome and you get something out of it. Like, I think that's so cool. Like it's like giving, but you get something out of it. Like it's just, it's kind of a crazy concept if you think about it because you're making a difference and yet you reap a benefit. I I think that's really fun, especially for like Christmas gifts. That's like one of my favorite things is to figure out, okay, like let's look for something that's going to mean a lot to somebody that they're going to really like, but that also makes a difference. And and so like I said, the charcoal soap was one of those things that I found. Like, you know, I think I was looking for my stepmom actually, and she's really into like beauty products or not, not even beauty products, but just like skincare and, you know, taking good care of your body. And she's like all into natural stuff. And so I was like, okay, I want to find or something that she'd really like and use, but that, you know, makes a difference. And I found the charcoal soap. And so I think those kinds of things are super fun just because it's like you get to, you know, and maybe you're buying it for yourself too, but then also if you give it as a gift, then you get to tell that person about a cause. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. And, and like I said, that's kind of how I found you guys. So, so I feel like that leads well into the four specific areas that you guys focus on within these countries that you're working in. So can you just talk about those four areas a little bit more in detail? 
Sure, sure. Um, I'll give kind of the quick synopsis of each, but yeah, you know, as I mentioned, to start with the coal is I think you know what's crazy is most people have no idea that this is one of the largest killers of women and children in the world. But it's it's really uh, it makes sense once you think about it is that three billion people cook their food over an open fire every day, and you know it's usually moms. Let's be honest, and it's usually oftentimes moms with kids strapped to their backs because they're, you know, keeping an eye on them or there's the toddler playing nearby while Mm -hmm. they're preparing food. And they're not truly aware. They know it's awful conditions to breathe in, but it's equivalent to smoking two packs of cigarettes per day. So when you're inhaling and all those toxic fumes, like not to mention even just the enormous amount of carbon and environmental degradation from cutting down trees for the wood They're just really inefficient, right? And so, um, you know, it's one of the largest killers of women and children is is respiratory illness from breathing in these open fires. And, um, you know, what people need most is just a locally made, affordable charcoal stove that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're currently working with women in Tanzania and Kenya to become entrepreneurs where they're they're learning the tricks of the trade of how to make them and set up a supply chain and sell them to their neighbors and it's super effective demand driven you know people are buying these stoves because sure it's saving them from the smoke but they, they love it because it's saving them from having to buy so much firewood or buy so much charcoal it's that it saves half as much which is a lot of money and it's cooking food faster so it's kind of a win-win-win in terms of a product and really it's like well how can we train people locally instead of you know importing them from india or yeah. importing them from china like let's you know, we wanted to train people, uh, women locally to run stove businesses. And that's been exciting. And I think we've helped about 400 women so far. And we're just about to send them some more funding to create, I think, 190 more more jobs, which is great. So that would be considered our environment campaign. Um, that's the one that we've had the biggest struggle with this year, because unfortunately, because it has so many environmental effects, it fell under a climate change initiative program was co-funded with the U.S. State Department and the administration has cut all funding to the program. So we've had to really rally to make up the difference and figure out how can we keep this program open because it's, it's no longer able to receive support from USAID just because it was is considered climate change initiative, which is mind boggling to me. Yeah. But anyway, you know, yeah. that that's a program that is just, man, so impactful. And I could talk about it all day. You know, secondly, then we have our health campaign, which is really great. Yeah. It's all about training women to become community health promoters, um, where they get the skills and knowledge to sell products or services to pregnant moms and their children. And so um, that program has proven so effective that it's, you know, massively trying to scale because uh, an independent study proved that just having one woman in the community with basic healthcare skills is reducing child mortality 27% in that community, which is unheard of in terms of effectiveness. And, you know, can you imagine like being pregnant and not having any healthcare worker or any clinic or any hospital nearby? Like that is terrifying. So having, you know, a woman with the knowledge and skills you need living in your village is a godsend. And um, that's been so much fun to help grow that program. And um, we're really looking forward to some exciting things to come with that. You know, then we have an, a hunger campaign, which for us yeah. is all about helping farmers grow more food more effectively. So 
that's everything from helping them gain access to irrigation to helping with a great kind of partner mentorship program. I think for us, we look at farmers and we think, whoa, they have these generational skills and they just know how to do it. When actuality, a lot of these farmers are farmers out of necessity. They have a little small plot of land in front of their house, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have ever received education in how to grow food sustainably. You know, and we're seeing that in Malawi where like some reports were coming back and it was incredible to see some men and women saying like, oh my gosh, I learned how to space my seeds out so that they would get the bigger yield, you know, and that's, you know, something that's really exciting for us is, is how can we holistically help farmers learn the skills, but then also grow their businesses so they have enough to feed their families, but then they also are selling that food in local markets and essentially earning an income, right? And, mm-hmm. and some of them are even hiring neighbors to help them right. with their yields. So that's that's been fun um, and really exciting. We've had to also tweak that program and make sure that people are also gaining access to drought resistant yeah. seeds because climate change is affecting Africa already right now, making sure crop resistant seeds are, or drought resistant seeds are available and that our non-GMO is, is really important to us. So we've had to make sure that we're holistic and thoughtful um, with that. Uh, and then the last program is, you know, where we all started, which is our well mechanic training program partner, Water for People, that's working in Western Uganda, which is the first well mechanic training program on the continent, which is pretty fantastic. And the entire principle, as I mentioned, was people, villages all agree in this district that they are going to be part of this program and they'll have a caretaker that is there every day and they they turn on the well and get it going and then um, you pay four cents per can for your water and you're you're guaranteed that every quarter it's going to get fully cleaned and maintenanced and in return you know that you have consistent water source which is which is really great and in in the district actually every single broken well has been fixed already which is awesome so our hope is by 2024 it will become the first district in the continent where 100% of all people living in that district have clean water, which is amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. And I I really like that you kind of broke it down into those four areas. Um, and I will say too, just from an outsider's perspective, I think that the environment piece of out of those four really just sets you guys apart as an organization, I feel like, because I think most people, even, you know, if they've done no research into this themselves, would know that like, oh yeah, a lot of people don't have access to clean water in Africa and a lot of people are starving and, you know, things like that. But I think the environment thing was probably the most surprising to me when I first found that charcoal soap, like just what I was reading about. Like you said, it's a leading killer of of women and children because of the smoke inhalation, which like... I mean, you know, people here obviously do open fires sometimes, like bonfires and stuff. And I literally never even thought like, oh, yeah, you like that smoke is bad to breathe. Right. And that's like, you know, maybe once a month that I am at a bonfire and, and like they're doing it every day for like almost every meal. And and so that was crazy to me. And then also I think I read I know you said about the environment, like the all the toxins that it's putting into the air is bad for the environment. And I think I read some statistic that was talking about how it's like comparing it to cars um what cars are putting out into the air yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah it currently um 
emits more carbon into the atmosphere than all the cars and trucks in the world combined. So, oh my gosh, that's just insane. I know. Because we all know that car, like there's so many cars on the road and we all like see the smoke that they, or whatever it is that they put out. And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, the emissions. And, and you're saying that it's even more, you know, just take that and double it or more than double it with these, all these open fires, which is just, I mean, that's just insane, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then you think, well, 3 billion people are using that fire. So, you know, every household needs to cook food. Right. So it makes sense. But yeah, it is. It's crazy. And it actually, you know, a lot of researchers who are fighting climate change say one of the most effective interventions is how can we make charcoal efficient stoves ubiquitous and, you know, get everybody using an efficient stove source. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the most effective ways that we can drastically reduce emissions worldwide. Right. It's so crazy, but I love that you guys are addressing that because like I said, I don't, I don't feel like I'd even heard of that being an issue before. And I haven't really seen, I'm sure there are, but I haven't seen other organizations that are addressing that. So I think that's really awesome. And that's one of my favorite things that you guys do. So it's really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it's, it's, yeah. 4 million people die every year. It's really insane to think about. Yeah. But also, you know, when you think like for 20 bucks, you can provide one family with a stove. That's a really incredible metric and a really easy way that you could help, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and so I'll just ask, since I've mentioned the charcoal soap so many times, is that just something you guys do at Christmas time or do you sell it year round? We sell it year round. I can send you the link. Yeah. It's just like shop at the adventure project, but you know, obviously for, for the holidays, we, change the hang tag so that it's says happy holidays and make it more cheeky when it comes to yeah coal in your stocking and all those um marketing tactics but yeah Yeah. we we, um we saw it around and i think we have sold over ten thousand boxes the last few years so it's been or of, of the soap so it's been fun and so when you buy one bar of soap that in turn gives a charcoal soap to a family is that right Yes. So like it helps us train a woman to sell one to a family. And so you're basically subsidizing the costs of the program so that that the stove is affordable for the family to buy. That's so cool. So we talked about like kind of how, you know, how you guys are addressing each of those areas. But I think the something that's important to distinguish is that, you know, it's not just like when when you buy the soap or when you donate to the adventure project you don't just in turn hand a stove out right instead you are creating jobs where people that are already living in these countries are then employed to teach others is that is that right am i saying that right yeah no you're absolutely right so um, you know each program is slightly different but they all have an economic empowerment component you know, there are times sometimes where people are getting donated boots and hose so that they can help with their farm. But then uh-huh. the idea is like, how do we help them get a bank account and help them get a financial model so that they can have the confidence to sell the produce in the local market. So most often our support is going to helping them get the skills they need to then stand on their own, if that makes sense. It's yeah. not about passing things out. It's all how you build a business model that can run on its own and be freestanding and profitable. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then is the hope kind of that, 
eventually you are able to kind of move out of certain countries like how you did with Haiti and India like you empower them to kind of take it into their own hands and find the solution and create jobs and then you're able to sort of back out of it and let them take over absolutely yeah okay yeah that's the goal and it's how do you work yourself out of a job in essence right like yeah how do we get to a point where our we're no longer needed that's really cool i love that because that's kind of i mean this is a weird comparison but my line of work i do i generally call myself an academic advisor at a university but i really mm-hmm. work more with like at-risk students that have learning disabilities and whatnot and just have a really hard time in school and it's like I say all the time you know if I were out of a job like I'm hoping to equip my students so that they don't need me the four full the full four years like the first year I'm working with them it's pretty intense like they're in my office almost every day Um, I'm helping them a lot and then like my hope is that every year that they're there they get a little bit more independent because I don't want to just be doing the work for them I want them to be gaining the skills where they can do it themselves right because eventually they're going to graduate and they won't have me anymore and so it's like I always say like if I you know work to the point that I'm out of a job like that's a that's a I mean obviously I want my job but it's a good day you know because that means that they're all set like they you know, they, they have the skills themselves and don't need me anymore. Like that's my hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like the life of every parent, right. Is like raising a child so that they're independent and able to lead a a healthy, prosperous life. That's like what every parent wants for their kids. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, I know why I care and I feel like why you care about these topics But I wonder if you've ever encountered people, like you said, some people feel like, oh, this problem is so huge, I can't even make a difference. Do you ever feel like you encounter people that maybe feel like, okay, well, this is like another country, it doesn't really affect me. I don't know. What what would you say for why, why anybody should care about these issues and what's going on in these other countries? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, well, personally, I'm, I'm a Christian and I just feel called to help people in need and I you know I don't really Mm -hmm. think we've been called to only help our neighbor is global basically right yeah just because we're not physically close doesn't mean I'm not uh, called to, to help you and I just yeah I mean I feel like even what we're seeing with the crisis on our border right now I think what we're we're missing the point and the point of that story is that people are fleeing because of violence and because of economic instability and because they are scared. And I think the best way that we could, um, instead of make creating band-aid solutions, you know, the best way to really affect change is helping people with stability where they're living so that they won't have to flee. Same with the refugee crisis. We have more refugees now in the world than we've ever had in our lifetime. A lot of people are fleeing because of poverty. So if you could create jobs and stabilize local economies, you're stabilizing our own communities as well, because most people, you know, many refugees I've talked to never wanted to leave. It's just that they had to because their country was so unstable. So growing local economies and giving people jobs is one of the most effective ways that you can keep a robust economy and keep people uh, living abundant lives. And I think that's what we you know, all should, should care about. But 
I don't know, maybe that's that's too naive or, you know, a blanket <laughs> statement, but uh, that's what I truly, truly believe is that we all want the same things in life. We all just mm-hmm. want our kids to be healthy. Yep. I like that. And I'm a Christian too. And so I feel like I can totally relate of why, why this is important, but, you know, even for those that are listening that aren't, you know, or don't subscribe to any faith system or, or whatever their beliefs are, like, I just feel like helping people is, it, like we were saying about giving is such a joy and you know even, you know even if you don't believe like in what the bible says about giving it's like um you know there's karma like some people believe in karma like what goes around comes around you know all all different ways you could look at it and it's like helping others always does something for us you know whether that's our intention or not i feel like helping others helps us in a way yeah so i wanted to know i saw on your website that you guys also work with some other organizations can you talk about that like how how you work with those other organizations towards solutions yeah absolutely so we partner with local organizations working locally in these countries and that are hiring people locally to provide the training so for example with our healthcare promoter program like there are licensed healthcare nurses who are Ugandan who are providing that training, which is essentially it makes your money go farther because you know these are experts who speak the local language and have local context and, and to implement those projects well and to train people well, much better than I could ever do if I was going over. So. Um, you know, as part of how we work through local partners, much like other organizations, is how do we help them get more funding and support to keep doing those projects and to expand their work so that they're not having to focus on fundraising. So we provide them with mainly funding, but then also photos and stories that they can use to tell their stories. And then, you know, the third wheel is is tech support, which has been really beneficial for us, but also for them. So we have, an, we have an Android app in the field right now that people use to collect data. So for example, someone will go out and last month, our farming partner in Kenya, we're like, we're going to interview people who purchased an irrigation pump from us four years ago, and we want to see if they're still using it. Mm-hmm. And so they ran this study using this our Android app, and we're able to collect the data in a week, you know, which used to take them months. And then it's goes through our back end and is visualized and you know we can have access to the data that we can see and share with our supporters but then they get it so that they can make more rapid fire decisions and so it was really a great tool that we're we're rolling out and helping them collect stories faster but then also helping us in terms of being able to share those stories and say yeah what's happening is really effective so it's been a great great partnership and that's you know how we see um adding you know, what we do best in the U.S. Um, by, you know, bringing corporate partners along to help and helping local organizations continue to thrive with giving them the tools they need to do so. That's so great. And I mean, it's very clear, like just from what you've shared throughout this conversation, that what you guys are doing is working. And, you know, I feel like the other countries mentioned, like Haiti and India are perfect examples of that and I I think that's awesome and there's obviously lots of statistics to show that you know this approach is working and so how would you say that that we as just like the general public can help you know is the main thing just giving towards your organization or are there any other ways that you think for those of us who 
you know, are living like our comfortable lives and, you know, don't want to work for like a non-for-profit, but still want to make a difference. <laughs> How would you say like we can help? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our website is theadventureproject.org. And, you know, there's several ways if you want to just join, there's a way you can join our email list to, if you want to learn more. But, um, you know, our biggest need, if you're like, yes, mm-hmm. I believe jobs are the answer, is joining our collective, which is our monthly giving community. Um, you can get there from our, our homepage, mm-hmm. but you know, those, there's no minimum, you know, it's just, you know, some people give a thousand dollars a month, some people get five, you know, it's really about leveraging your philanthropy. And then, you know, you're getting a monthly updates as to, you know, where your money's going and, and the lives you're changing. So for us, I think there's about 220 members right now. We're actively trying to grow it. We realized if we can get 500 members signed up, we can um, create a hundred jobs every quarter, which is an exciting milestone. And then if we get a thousand people signed up, you know, in a, we can expand to Ethiopia with 2000 members, we can expand to West Africa. So really it's as we collectively support these initiatives, we're able to do more and more and help more people in the process. So those are easy and simple ways that you can get involved in ways that we would really love to see see more members from, from your audience join yeah absolutely and even if they're not sold on becoming a monthly donor yet I feel like I would even just challenge people to look into getting some charcoal soap and maybe considering mm-hmm. giving that as a gift this year like whether it's for Christmas or or whatever just like giving it to someone and because then you're making a difference too by just spreading the word like I think again most people don't know about the open fire thing and just how what a big deal that is and I feel like you know you can give a meaningful gift and support your organization that way and also spread the word about it and then you never know like maybe someone you give it to will decide to become a monthly donor or maybe they'll give that gift to someone and and I just feel like there's such a way to make a difference even just through something small like that too absolutely yeah no that's well said yeah cool okay so if you could pick one main message that you want people to walk away with today what would that be oh i would say that you right where you are have the power to help someone you could make an extreme difference in someone's life and their children's life yeah and it doesn't take much yeah and know that you have been given a gift to be here today i mean i'm speaking with the assumption that you're able to listen to this podcast, which means you're pretty blessed yourself. I know that I certainly have a lot of privilege mm-hmm. just being born, mm-hmm. you know, and as a Christian, I feel like yeah. God put me in this place full of privilege and it is um, with privilege, just a lot of responsibility, but, you know, but know that that, like you, you said it so well, Mackenzie, like res- with responsibility comes so much joy. The joy in helping others is, makes my life uh, just so much fuller and richer. And I just want more people to know about that. I love that. That's great. Okay, so I want to ask you a few questions that are more about you, just so people can get to know you a little bit better. So what what's some good advice that you've gotten recently? This is, like, always the hardest question for people to answer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is always – that's such a hard question, and I think I get – I'm fortunate to, to get some good advice from some smart people yeah. often. But, you know, I will say, like, I always go back to this is when I was thinking of starting the adventure project, it was a very scary, scary time because I think I told you, I think we started with $4,000. Like we weren't anyone with anything, you know, um, I moved onto friends' couches 
so that we could not take, you know, we didn't take salaries. Like it was very um, scary. And when I was talking to who's now a board member and mentor of mine, Sean Buddy, who he was an executive at Capital One and has a ton of great insight. And I told him my pitch and he said, like, tell me all the reasons why you should do this. And mm-hmm. I did. And then he said, well, tell me all the reasons why you shouldn't do this. And, you know, I said, I guess the only reason is that I might fail. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want to fail. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, well then this is what you have to do. He's like, you just put your head down and you just work. And while everyone else is worrying about failure, you're going to be working. Mm-hmm. And there was something so freeing about that yeah. because so often I can get in my head and be like, oh my gosh, am I really doing this? Am I really, you know, there's been so many moments that we've had that have been so joyful and, and big and scary. And instead of looking at it and freezing, <laughs> you just say, okay, I'm going to make a list and I'm just going to start checking off the list. And by doing so, we're going to be moving the needle forward. And, and that's, that's what sage advice for me was just to stop letting the fear of failure um, yeah. prevent you from leading an incredible life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like so relatable probably for so many people. I know for me, I feel like that speaks into so many things, you know, and maybe it's not starting, starting like an amazing organization, like what you did, but even just little things like, I feel like that's so relatable. So I love that. That's great advice. Oh, good. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have someone that you look up to as a role model? Well, you know, I do see, I seek a lot of our board support, and I think they're fantastic. Scott Harrison, who was my former boss at Charity Water, has mm-hmm. always had his door open for me to ask him quick questions when I need support, which I think is something that he, he doesn't have to do. Yeah. But he, but he does. That's really, really just beneficial. We um, last year had an anonymous Bitcoin donor provide us with a million dollars, which was life changing and Mm -hmm. life giving. And then um, I quickly went into emergency labor because of it, (laughs) maybe not because of it, but quickly after, because it was so surprising and, you know, changed everything. But, you know, I'll say we were able to get on that radar. 10,000 organizations applied for the funding. We were one of 42. Um, And I will say that we were recipients because of our mission, but also because the first organization to, to raise, to receive a million dollars, that Bitcoiner set turned to them and said, do you know another small organization that could really use this money? And those guys at the water project said, absolutely. Becky Straub, the adventure project. Oh my God. And connected us. And then the second people was charity water and Scott Harrison. And they asked the same question and Scott turned around and said, yes, Becky Straub, the adventure project. Oh my gosh. So I think, that was another reason that we were able to get on their radar. Yeah. And I think if it wasn't for them helping me stand up, I don't know yeah. if we would have received that that gift. And so um, those are two incredible leaders of organizations that took the time to really say, yeah, you, Becky needs a break, you know? Right. <laughs> um, I think oftentimes especially as a, a female founder, we're sometimes told that maybe we're too ambitious or, you know, all the stereotypes that, that we get. And just like many women trying to get VC funding, you know, only 2% of women-led organizations ever even get venture capital funding. And you're kind of seeing that in the nonprofit space too, where, you know, I'm seeing my colleagues get into these rooms that 
I, I try really hard to get into. Yeah. And so for them to take the time and put our names forward was like such a vote of confidence and, and a life-saving move. So I really am, am grateful for those, those guys. That's so cool that I'm, yeah, that's amazing. I think that's so neat that, especially too, that you're just able to like have collaboration with other organizations and it's not like a competition or anything for like who, you know, the funds or whatever, because that's something I've learned just along the way with nonprofits is that the money's out there, like it's there, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's just no need for competition in that sense because there's plenty of money to go around. It's just, you know, working to find it. And so that's really cool that you guys were able to kind of like support each other through that way. Yeah. No, it was transformative in in a million ways. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'll put links to those organizations too so people can check them out because I've done, um, I've just done one episode. I want to do more about water conservation and kind of the issues with clean water around the world. And that was one of my favorite topics to talk about and still one of my favorite episodes. So I'll post links to those organizations too so people can check them out. Um, All right. Are you a reader by chance? You know, I'm a reader. I have read a lot less lately, as you and I discussed, yeah. having children. Um, yeah. I went to bed at like 9.30 last night. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm you. usually – that was – yeah, that was a good night. Um, I usually, <laughs> you know, lately now I've been doing a lot more article reading where Medium posts, you know, different topics than books. But I, but I do occasionally yeah. pick one up. And, I you know, I think I still – if I, you know, had to give you – some of my favorites, the blue sweater by Jacqueline Novogratz is like such a good one in terms of a shared philosophy for creating jobs Okay. and impact. She worked in Rwanda and she runs the acumen fund, which is an organization I look up to. And then, um, mountains beyond mountains. I mean, I've read it, both of these I've read years ago, but I I continuously harp back to them, which is about Paul farmer uh, working in Haiti. And he's got such a great story. And I, you know, been fortunate enough to see their work in Haiti and it just ugh, could not be better. Yeah. You know, the third book is probably Thirst, which is Scott Harrison wrote and just released almost a year ago. But it's kind of fun to, to read since I was I was there and in it a few times. So that's really flattering and they're doing incredible work with water. So yeah. um, those would be the three I would recommend if people are interested in learning about international development from a from a nonprofit perspective. Yeah. Cool. Well, I haven't heard of any of those, so I'll check them out and post links to those also. And I'm not going to lie, when you say Scott Harrison, I keep thinking of Chris Harrison, who hosts The Bachelor. Yes, yes, yes. Not The Bachelor, but... We've been totally into The Bachelorette this season, so it's like, I think part of it is because we had a baby recently, and you just find yourself, like, sitting on the couch, like you know, trying to take care of your baby and needing to look at something on the TV. So (laughs) Uh, we've totally been on that kick lately. (laughs) You are telling my story. We were (laughs) breastfeeding. I couldn't reach the remote. And then I was like, oh my God, Hannah, I am sucked in. I cannot stop. (laughs) Like you should get rid of him. You know, there's so many, I don't know this season. I'm there. Yeah. Anyway, I could go on and on. My husband sits there and rolls his eyes, but then secretly sucked in too, because who are these oh my men gosh, you just stay in their lane? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, no. My husband's like, it's like a train wreck. Like, I just can't not look at it. Like, and it's funny because we've had so many visitors with the baby. 
um, this summer, and it's like everybody that's here on a Monday, we're like, so on Mondays we watch The Bachelor, and and we've gotten so far we've gotten everybody hooked that's been there with us, and and they'll text us on Mondays and be like, we're watching it, we have to see what happens. So I that's amazing, that's so and I'm so embarrassed to disclose that um, I've watched a few episodes because. I'm yeah. I'm now bought in. I'm like, who is she gonna yeah. pick? She better not pick. Yeah. Who's the jerk? I mean, who's they're... the jerk? We got a, the hot-headed one. Who's that? Oh, What's his name? P. Luke P. <laughs> yes, Luke. God, I can't believe he got a rose. But anyway. Yeah. He did. He is. Maybe yeah. she just knows ratings really well, and she's like, I'm gonna keep it. I know. Like, Everybody's like, this has to be scripted. I'm like, I don't. I don't think it's scripted personally, from what I've heard, but. I do think that sometimes I wonder if sometimes they're telling them like you have to keep this person on because the ratings like you have to keep them on. Yeah. So I'm like that. I really hope she. That's the reason why she's keeping him on. But yeah. I agree. Anyways, I guess yeah. I should have given like a like spoiler alert if you you know. But actually, by the time this airs, it'll probably be over honestly because like I said, it's just we'll once know. a month. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah. Anyways, so not. Chris Harrison, Scott Harrison, very different yeah. person probably, but also an author. Different so. job. Yeah. yeah. Different job. Okay. Um, how about, do you have something that you've listened to or watched recently besides The Bachelor that you want everybody oh, gosh, to watch? Oh gosh, you know that, um, besides, yeah, please don't watch The Bachelor. I will not admit to watching it. Um, but yeah oh gosh I'm trying to think of something like really interesting I've watched a lot of like nerdy documentaries about the environment lately um mainly just because the climate crisis feels so terrible to me um I want to try and put some framework around it so I think you know the new planet earth documentaries yeah my husband I watched something about the Nile Mm. last week that was fascinating yeah on I believe it's on Nacho okay but I think my hope is that we move from a state of like shock and awe. I think, you know, when they did interviews with Americans, a lot of Americans believe climate change is real, but most of us don't know what to do. And I think there needs to be a concerted effort to say, all right, we all believe that it's happening. Let's get to work now and and let's figure out what are the things we need to do to tackle these changes um, Mm -hmm. or the changes we need to make. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, Americans were the first and worst in terms of climate emissions, yeah. hands down, more than any other country. Right. And unfortunately, the countries that are first and worst in terms of being hit are countries where I'm working, which is in sub-Saharan Africa. And we're seeing people emailing us saying, hey, I need some help because the drought is really bad this year. You know, and so we're seeing the effects and degradation of climate um, already. And so... Who are we not to also work to reduce our own emissions? And and so I've been doing a lot of research and documentary um, watching to kind of get a better understanding right. of the problem and, and what are some solutions. Yeah. It's, it's a nerdy answer, but I think I'm always thinking of, yeah. of these, these problems. Oh, yeah. It's so relevant right now. And I feel like just with this generation, we're seeing like more focus on that, which is really awesome. And there's more things becoming like easily available where we can you know help with like the waste issue or you know just different things that do contribute to climate change and and I also think it's cool that there's a lot of these topics that are connected to each other so like even you know supporting your organization you're helping to prevent climate change with 
the stoves, like that kind of thing. Like there's so many of these issues that are connected. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been great. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a brand or product that you are really liking lately? Oh gosh. Um, that's a great question. We just partnered with, and I'm not like a fancy person, but we partnered with uh, Lingua Franca, which is a cashmere sweater company that I'm pretty obsessed with their model because they only make sweaters on demand and um, they're making one for us. I can give you the link called unpaved, unpaved paradise, which is kind of a play on a Joni Mitchell song. Oh, that's Um, cool. But they're all kind of eco-friendly in the sense that they use um, a really great supplier for their cashmere. And then they embroider the sweaters locally, um, paying women real rages. And $100 from each sweater goes to our stove program. So in essence, that's providing five families with clean cook stoves for every sweater sold. So that's kind of a fun company that gives back and... Yeah, I love that model of they're not ordering extra inventory, but they're kind of of the philosophy of fewer better things where, you know, you're going to invest more money in this sweater, but man, like you have a beautiful cashmere sweater. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's cool. That's fun. I really like that. I'm excited to see what the sweaters look like. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And then I think, you know, my other favorite brand that I love is is Catbird, which we're lucky enough. They give away 1% of their profits every year and we're lucky enough to be one of the charities they pick. But before I was a partner of theirs, I was just a fan and a customer. They make everything locally in Brooklyn, meaning they employ local jewelers here and they use a lot of recycled gold or I think all recycled gold, which is great. They just have like a cool Brooklyn vibe. Their stuff is really different and really neat and um, female founded and a very kind of attainable brand that is really has a great message behind it and and a great company that you're yeah. proud to support so that's catbird cool. and they they have a little shop to uh, online shop but then a little shop in williamsburg that usually has a long line of tourists okay that's cool i haven't heard of them before is it i might totally not be hearing this right is it cat bird like two animals yeah. put together okay it's two animals <laughs> put together but it's like the name okay. of a bird like there's a bird oh, really? in the wild called the cat bird yeah oh well, i'm gonna have to look that up as well <laughs> that sounds so interesting yeah. i think she was just like a fan of the bird yeah that's cool i like that all <laughs> yeah. right awesome so many good recommendations i love it all right so if people want to learn more want to get connected how can they find you or find out more about the adventure project well the adventureproject.org is a great start mm-hmm. where they can email me at becky straw at the adventureproject.org yeah, or on mm-hmm. Instagram, like our handle is slash the adventure project. Send us a message. We would love to talk to you. Um, as I said, we're like a yeah. movement of people like me. So don't feel like you have to be loaded or be Bill Gates to get involved. Like we are right. calling on all people. And some of our biggest, most loyal, generous supporters are just moms in the Midwest um, or military families. Mm-hmm. And they are just incredible people who believe in the dignity of jobs and, and want to get involved. So we would love for you to join our family if, if those if people are interested or if they become, if they run a, if you run a small business or a company or you have a school and you want to do a fundraiser, we would love to make that happen and, and partner. Yeah. So, so good. And I will vouch that you guys do definitely respond to your Instagram messages because <laughs> you responded to little me very quickly. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so that's awesome. Love it. No. 
Good um, to know. Yeah. Mackenzie, just having the time with you today has, has been so um, kind of you. And, and thank you for, for sharing the space to share our story. We really, I just am so appreciative. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. I really appreciate your time. And I think it's amazing that you just took this idea and ran with it and didn't let fear hold you back like you talked about. And it's clearly like making such a big difference. So I'm so happy to share about it and I'm going to keep doing so. I'm going to keep buying charcoal soap every Christmas <laughs> and giving it to people so I can spread the word. Um, but yeah, I think it's amazing. And I'm sure that listeners are loving what you're doing and have also learned a lot about, you know, what's going on around the world and how they can help to make a difference. So, so yeah, I love it. And thank you again for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Oh my gosh. No pleasure is mine. And uh, looking forward to staying connected. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Good luck with the little guy. Thank you so much. So don't you agree that the adventure project is a special organization? I find their approach to solving poverty so unique. This conversation reminded me a lot of several different episodes that I've done in the past, like the very first episode I recorded with Jess about water conservation, my conversation with Emily about the Mocha Club and how they're looking to resolve poverty in Africa, my conversation with Nate about the most effective methods for solving poverty. There are so many relevant topics that I've gotten to talk about before, and I've put links to all of those episodes in the show notes. But I think the Adventure Project is really special because they have that environmental component too that they focus on. So I love what Becky was able to add to this conversation. Those statistics about the open fires are mind-blowing. I was so shocked to hear how many deaths those open fires contribute to and how much carbon they're putting out into the air, more than cars and trucks combined. And I think the program for teaching women how to sell these charcoal-efficient stoves is so cool and such an awesome way to address the issue while teaching these women invaluable business skills. I also really love the human aspect that Becky was able to bring to this conversation. The picture of the woman walking through the woods for so many days with her child just trying to find healthcare was so moving, and I know you could hear it in Becky's voice too. Even though that picture is so sad to think about, what I realized while talking to Becky was that these people don't need our pity. Okay, our pity isn't doing them any favors, and they don't even need our charity necessarily. What they need is resources. Once they have these resources and are able to get started, they are hardworking and wise people, and they are able to build sustainable futures for themselves once they have those resources. So I think the work that Becky's doing with the Adventure Project is so amazing. And finally, I loved hearing about Becky's courage to just go for it in starting this business. Like she said, there was plenty of reason not to start it for the fear of failing, and I'm sure she's encountered so many obstacles along the way, but the work they've accomplished overseas is incredible, and if she had let that fear hold her back, who knows where so many of these families and individuals would be. So I just loved hearing about her courage to just go for it. It's inspiring to me, and it makes me want to support her all the more. So like Becky said, there are lots of ways to do that, one of them being donating. And you heard her say and me say multiple times, there is no gift too small, okay? There's no minimum that you can give. So go give $1 or $5 or $10, or maybe you're able to give a lot more. But whatever it is, you can give knowing that your gift is gonna make a difference. And I promise you, it's gonna bring you a lot of joy to contribute to something so great. 
I hope you enjoyed all this conversation, even the times that we got off topic. And I'll have you know that I've been emailing with Becky, and she was actually in Uganda when the finale of The Bachelorette aired. But don't worry, she's since been able to catch up, and we got to chat all about it. But now we have to wait many months for the next Bachelor season to start, but I think we'll be okay. Thank you guys so much for listening and giving these important topics a thought. Make sure you go check out what the Adventure Project is doing. Consider buying some charcoal soap for the next gift that you have to give. Consider joining the collective and donating monthly to the Adventure Project. Think about how you can make a difference right where you're at and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.